a Podcast One production. Mark Humphreys, thank you for submitting to this involuntary interrogation. I had no choice, but uh, let's get on with it. Trust no one. The level of sedition, anti-authority behaviour and advertiser-unfriendly thought crime has reached record levels, especially amongst Australia's elites. Treason. Luckily, the men and men of The Chaser have been commissioned by Border Force to conduct interrogations and sort out the subversives from the Patriots. Betrayal. In conjunction with ASIO and the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Protocols, this is Extreme Vetting with The Chaser. The Chaser. Today's detainee on Extreme Vetting is one of Australia's leading satirists. He's known for his brilliant skewerings on 7.30 and the feed, and his name is Mark Humphreys. Ah, he's the guy from Pointless. Well, yeah, yeah, he also hosted that. Apparently that's a bit of an awkward subject, though, Charles. I love that show. You know, it was such a pity when a survey of 100 people's favourite TV shows revealed that none of them liked Pointless. Yeah. Well, look, the thing is, uh, Mark Humphreys, of course, does these brilliant viral videos that woke people share on social media. They love it. Like, he made a video about Greta Thunberg, and that got retweeted by Greta Thunberg herself. This man is a huge threat. Right then, Mr Woke Video Guy Mark Humphreys, you haven't experienced pointless until you've been in a room with Border Force. Now, um... We'll just start with a few standard questions. Uh, What's your full name? Mark Lewis Humphreys. Ooh. Mm. Lewis. Mm. How, how do you spell that? Is it the French way or the other way? It's the it's L-E-W-I-S, so not, not the French way, sadly. And uh, mm. your age? Uh, th- I'd like to say, we'll go with 34. Yeah, let's You'd go with like 30. to say 34? <laughs> what, what would you say if you had to tell the truth? Oh, mate, I, uh, yeah. No, it actually turns out to be 34, but um, I, think, I think I peaked at 27. So I was 27 for a few years, but I'm now 34. Oh, sad for sad It's a bit for suspicious, isn't it, Andrew? It is very... It's highly sus, this business of being 27 for, for such a long time. Mm. I don't know why anybody would choose to be 27 for a long time. It just sounds <laughs> like... It sounds young and just and mature enough. I just yeah. think that's a sweet spot. Well, mm. do you want us to note it down as 27? If you could say 27, that'd okay. be, that'd be yeah. a help. An uh, old-looking 27-year-old. Old <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, where did you grow up? Oh, in uh, Crow's Nest, uh, so the northern Ooh. suburbs of Sydney. <coughs> oh, that must have been hard. It was tough. It was tough. Um, and, uh, yeah, because we uh, uh, only had the uh, the one uh, sort of uh, boutique um, Harris Farm sort of situation. Mm. But, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, look, it was, it's a glorious place to live. And sadly, in recent years, other people found that out. And so the prices have gone through the roof. And did you... Grow up on smashed avocado. Was that? Yes, yeah, smashed avocados, uh, roll mops, uh, pate. Uh, <laughs> roll yeah. mops is your idea of posh food, is it? A pickled fish in a jar. Well, you can't be. It can't be too. Sort of can't be too ruling class, then, can you? Well, this is Australia, Andrew. It's the yeah, height of cuisine yeah. in Australia. Yeah, yeah, I guess a roll mop is pretty much a three-hatted dish, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then um, talking about mops, what's the worst <laughs> thing you did as a kid? I, I, I was thinking about this the other day. So I, uh, when I was about six, I was in a 
doctor's waiting office with my mum and they were filled with other patients and there was someone, someone was uh, wiping the windows and I uh, declared in front of everyone in the waiting room, Mummy, does he do that job because he didn't work hard at school? Oh, oh. that that is a crow's nest thing. That to is say. a very crow's nest thing to say. Oh, did you say that while <laughs> scoffing roll mops <laughs> in the right. poor man's and then, face? And, and then I flicked the kind of salty juice at him. I flicked it at him, <laughs> um, and uh, oh. oh god! So then, oh, you yeah. little Lord Fauntleroy. So then, <laughs> I, I, later on, for several years, I worked in a warehouse, and it felt like uh, karma had come for me. So. Uh, oh. yeah. Well, well that's in a right. warehouse. What, <clears throat> yeah, mm. when we first met, Mark, um, yeah. you were working in a warehouse, weren't you? That's you? exactly right. Can you describe the nature of this? It wasn't one of those sort of trendy warehouse conversions. Well, it was. A, it was a crow's nest warehouse. I should just be clear. But uh, so it was. It was for a. It was for a sort of high end uh, designer homewares shop. But it was a standard warehouse of you know boxes and, and more boxes and uh so uh yeah i just 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 slowly went mad in there <laughs> um not sort of fulfilling my potential how long did you work there uh, i think i was in the warehouse for maybe might have been three years something like that so, so, so how did it work so did you you went to school hmm. and then did you go to university yeah or? so i went to uni and i studied advertising in french and uh, <laughs> exactly, and they, yeah, exactly. And they changed the spelling of my middle name. Uh, and uh, oh. the yeah, because I, I, I kind of advertising sounded like something because I was very academic at school. Um, mm. But and I knew I wanted to pursue comedy, but I was too embarrassed to admit that to anyone. So mm. I thought I'd do advertising because it's sort of creative, but it's also like a real job. And uh, but it was a terrible, it was a terrible choice. And I came out of it with a degree that I have never used because I just realized I didn't really want to work in advertising and uh, and that my you know my true calling was um, stacking boxes in a warehouse so so I went and did that. <laughs> Can I ask about the French thing though like it's, mm. it's uh, advertising and yeah. French yeah what did what did you you're not responsible for the yo play, play is really like, what inspired what? it uh, so uh, yeah once they brought out the putin yum. Range. Oh, I knew it was all over. That was exactly yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think in my fantasy, I thought, oh, maybe I'll go and work in French advertising. But it was years before it, I found out that uh, uh, you know that YoPlay was not French for yoga. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait a minute! Yeah. I think we've got a scoop here. Yeah, this is right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> this is divulging all sorts of crucial information. Yeah, it's like band aid. <laughs> Amazing. YoPlay yeah. is not French for you. No, no. Yelt. is the real word. Yeah. <coughs> doesn't doesn't roll down. off the tongue. Sounds like vomit. <laughs> it does. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you don't like the word. Yelt. Yelt. On a meta peak. So, um, yeah. and what did your parents think about your degree? Uh, that I should use it. Uh, that was the main thing. They were sort of... Um, kind of slightly baffled that I was not, you know, taking advantage of, of it. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they were in favor of the degree and uh, especially because the French part, because I'd done French at high school and so you go and, yeah, you go and live in France for a year and and so Sounds that was... awful. It, it was so terrible. Better, better or worse than Crow? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so I was, in, I was in Bordeaux, the crow's nest of, of France. Oh. And... Um, right. So you didn't choose like the, the, the bad... You didn't choose the industrial quarter of Rems or something no, like that. You no, chose so, Bordeaux. Some kids were in... Uh, 
uh, Reims or and uh, Rennes and uh, Poitiers and the various other places. But, but I, I was very lucky and got Bordeaux, and and I ended up working in a, in a bar. I worked in a in a pub there and uh, made terrible cocktails. I used to <laughs> if people people would order a cocktail, I'd just die inside and then. <laughs> Try, <laughs> oh God! I just make it up. I would on sort, the spot. sort of make it up, and you know how some cocktails you you light on fire. <laughs> well, well, you should see how many goddamn matches I got through with these fucking cocktails. <laughs> so, oh, it was just awful. So I didn't think they drank cocktails. I thought, I thought they just had like a vouge. Uh, yeah, well, it was a student town, so a lot of students. And, and then what would happen is I'd, I'd give them this overpriced cocktail. You know, it was like ten euros or something. Something. And then I would sort of hide in a corner of the bar and watch them take their first sip. <laughs> 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 oh, I got a lot of guilt about that. So you you did the warehouse, and then then what happened? You started turning up to writers' meetings for the roast. Well, that's it. So I called Charles Firth. I was given Charles's number, and, and did you to me? Did yeah, you? I called you. Yeah, right. And uh, and you said, oh yeah. So we've got the the roast, this two minute show that's starting on ABC too and yeah just you can just come along to the writers writers room you know come in on monday and so i rock up on monday and of course uh, charles hadn't told anyone uh, <laughs> oh really yes i don't know this yeah. story <laughs> yeah you should speak to nick richardson about that experience so he oh. sort of just patiently kind of tolerated this this additional uh additional he's very polite to me but he subsequently told me that he wasn't uh, he wasn't wild about it, but um, oh. uh, yeah. And so I, then I just sort of kept turning up yes. until uh, until they put me on the on the payroll, and uh, and then I haven't looked back. So you you worked uh, unpaid for the yeah. roast? Are you telling us? Yes, like most people in comedy. And so yeah, uh, yeah that's uh, I was doing that, and I was also doing a bit of PR work at the time. And I think I might have still been in the warehouse a couple of days. So I was sort of, uh, you know putting together some sort of uh, income out of that. But, um, yeah, no, it was, it was unpaid, but I also didn't deserve to be paid, so I'm not complaining. Yeah, and I, I mean, I do remember at the end of that when we got the proper commission from the ABC and it went to a full 10 minutes a day or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, hit the big yeah. time. Hit <laughs> <laughs> the big time. Yeah. We, we did well, immediately say, and you're going to be one of them, didn't we? Yes, yeah. yes. And it was so thrilling to move from a time slot of 7.28 p.m. to the real sort of, you know, blockbuster time slot of uh, 8.10 p.m., sometimes 8.12. Uh, <laughs> what I liked about that time slot is that it depended on how long the Tonight Show was. And so uh, you'd say yeah. tune in at 10 past 8, and sometimes the show had already started at 7 past 8, so my segment was already over by the time you'd switched on. Oh, God, why didn't that work? <laughs> so what, what, did, what, if anything, did you learn from your time at the roast? Oh, my gosh. I mean, just, just so much. One, one thing that's actually quite a valuable lesson for comedy writers is don't shit on an idea unless you've got a better one because as long as that while, while that idea is in the script that's currently the best idea there is and the, and the best way to counter that is to come up with a better thing there's no value in just saying that's a crap joke i don't like that joke you've got to come in with something positive um yeah so that's that's i think that's a good lesson but uh i i think uh i just think we were so lucky on, on that show because i just, and I, I say this all the time that there needs to be shows like the roast like the feed, like tonightly, where new talent can come in and can basically make mistakes, can basically get it wrong five days a week, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, and so so that eventually down the line they can be, you know, the the entertainers of tomorrow and and, and make something hopefully of, of substance. Actually, Andrew, we should just 
uh, hop out for a minute. We probably should hop out and just discuss this. So, Charles... This is a total uh, dog's balls, isn't it? It's, it it, it mm. is. I, I feel that he's he's a slippery customer. Well, he's so charming. Just, you know, yes, and he's been giving very straight answers that make sense, which and we, is very unusual for a podcast guest. And we sort of started not talking about him. He sort of charmed his way out of the interrogation. How did he do that? I think we're going to have to go really hard on him. I think we're going to have to get really, really, like, department-style hard. Okay. Um, do you know how to do that? I, I well, don't. I've got this. Uh, I've got this taser here. Um, do you think we should try that? Yeah. Look, I've got. A, I've got some very um, underripe fruit right here. Ooh. Uh, I think that could inflict a few uh, a few wounds that wouldn't be easily visible. Okay. Let's uh, let's go back in and try it. Uh, Mark, I'll just, I'll just pop this um, underripe watermelon on the desk here. In front Sorry, of is that a taser? Yeah, this one. Oh, the other one? Yeah, yeah yes. but the watermelon's not. Right. Okay. Mm. The watermelon I'm okay with. What's the, what's the taser for? Well, just in case I accidentally slipped and did this. Ah! ah. You see? Now, is that... But what do you think's worse, that or the underripe watermelon? <laughs> God! God! Not the watermelon. Oh, God. That's, uh, uh, it's always the threat of the watermelon that gets them in the end. <laughs> That's just a little taste of what, what, you, might, I, what, what you might have I don't, to put I, up with. I hate torture methods like watermelon boarding. It's a, it's a big no-no for me, and oh. uh, I think you've crossed the line. Now, um, you're now on the ABC 730. Mm, how did that happen? <laughs> And God, you've gone from one subversive bloody thing to the next, haven't you? I mean, SBS, The Guardian, you're ticking all the boxes. I mean, this is very worrying yes. to me. But, but most worrying is you're basically filling the shoes of, you know, one of Australia's most subversive immigrants, John Clark. Oh, right. Uh, and, um, you know, I mean, that makes, this, that makes you a, a very, you know, clear person of interest, mm-hmm. Mark. Um were you in any way nervous filling his shoes? Uh, so, yeah, look, it's certainly it's in the back of our minds and it's certainly at, at the forefront of the Facebook comments. But, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it is impossible to live up to because you're being compared to a 30-year <laughs> legacy and so uh, we kind of just have to do our own thing and hope that over time uh, people will forget about Clark and <laughs> that everyone who remembered him will, will sort of die off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've got decades left, though, Mark. They're, they're hanging on those ABC viewers. Oh, and curse YouTube for keeping them alive. Yes. Oh. So, um, yeah, mm. no, it, it is in the back of our minds, but there's there's nothing we can do about it. So we just have to just soldier on. So, what's your approach to the to your seven thirty spot? So, so how many minutes do you have to fill? Uh, every, uh, yeah, every roughly week? about two and a half, uh, roughly two and a half minute sketch, and there's some there's some leeway if uh, we go long or, or short. But that's the general. Thing so mm. it's got to be it's got to be an idea that that's got legs for a, a couple of minutes. Sometimes you think of something and you realise it's just one line, uh, and uh, and that's the end of it. But uh, that's yeah, that's what we're going for. I'm interested, Mark, in your creative process. Like, how long do you get to make those sketches? Do you, is it written and shot in one day, or do you get a couple of days? Yeah. So when we were when we were at SPS and actually when we were at the roast as well. Uh, we did it all in one day and we vowed, we basically burnt out by the end of the time we were at SBS and Evan and I vowed to never do that again. And so when the ABC offered us the 7.30 slot, we said, 
can we have a day of writing and then a day of shooting and editing? So that's the way we do it now. So there's a little bit more room to breathe. And also just that nice thing of being able to look at a sketch the next morning or a script rather and say, oh, you know, after sleeping on something and just going, oh, that doesn't track. I don't get that joke or that doesn't work. Whereas what happens with us now, occasionally we'll revisit an old SBS sketch and you remember it in a certain way from the time, but now watching it with fresh eyes, you go, oh, that doesn't track at all. That's That that joke doesn't land for a moment. So um, we have a little bit more time now, but it's still, you know, you know, it's still pretty rushed and uh, you know, because you do want it to be as topical as, as possible. And so um, the Greta Thunberg sketch. Yes. For ha- which you can, I mean, I, I'll give mm. you credit for, I think your performance is actually a big part of the, the success of that. Um, <laughs> let's talk a bit more <laughs> about your overly kind. I like, I like <laughs> this way this interview is going. Look, I know there's weapons on the table, Mark, but you don't need to compliment yeah. Charles's yeah. terrible You don't need to lie. No. <laughs> yeah. In fact, a- I'd say it was the only bad thing about the sketch. <laughs> the... the um, but the hell, like, so this is the Greta Thunberg helpline. Mm. It's to help angry men mm. um, deal with their irrational feelings of anger towards Greta Thunberg. Um, so, how many views has that video had? Uh, well, I'm not keeping track, but 5.2 million on Facebook and 14.8 million on Twitter. But um, <laughs> the uh, so yes, so 20 million all up. Uh, not counting all the uh, various uh, pirated versions and what have you, but yeah, no, it's it's it, that's been thrilling, and you know, it got retweeted by Greta herself and Mark Ruffalo and uh, one of the Baldwins, not Alec, but that's all right. Oh, all the people you'd expect all to the, retweet yeah, it then. I mean, exactly. You know. uh, Francis <laughs> it had, had Ruffalo written all over. <laughs> exactly. It. Uh, Francis Fisher, who played uh, Kate Winslet's mother in Titanic, you may remember her for the line, uh, "Will the lifeboats be seated according to class?" I mean, that's how big the sketch ah. went. Uh, yeah, so that that's big. <laughs> that's big. Is it, is, is it going to be a, 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 a sequel? A or sequel. A- <laughs> My goodness. Well, I think that's up to Australia's uh, and the world's angry men to decide. Mm. Uh, I think it's one of those sketches that every so often Piers Morgan or Jeremy Clarkson or Andrew Bolt will say something and uh, I'll just give it a red hot retweet and I'll just give it a little little bump. Yes. But we'd nice. certainly love to use Charles a lot more because I do think that that uh, certainly, certainly helped. Did it going explosive actually change anything? Like, <laughs> exactly. No, and nothing changes. It doesn't. I think in my head, maybe it bought us six more months of security at the ABC. But now I kind of think, no. I always think you're one sketch away from mm. it all, just being all over. Uh, so no, I didn't really change. So, um, and then you did pointless. Oh yes. Which is the failed game show. Well, that's one way to put it. Um, oh, might be the only way to put it. But uh, What was your thinking on that? Uh, money uh, was a big... Mm. Uh, no, I, no I, you, you wanted to I do wanted it. that. I really did want that. I, I loved the British version of, of Pointless. I, I, I still think it is a great format. I think it is a great concept for a show. And so, yeah, about three years ago, I was watching the British version and, and I tweeted saying, if they ever make an Australian version, I'd love to host it. And then two years later, Channel 10 announced they were making an Australian version. And I sort of retweeted myself and said, offer still stands, you know, at Channel 10, at Shine, the production company. And then, yeah, they called me up and said, do you want to come in for an audition? And, and, and then sort of, you know, miraculously it did, it did happen. Do you regret sending that tweet then? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. No, it, was, it, was, it, was, it really was a lot of fun. And um, uh, it, it was great to get experience in front of a live audience 
um, a dwindling audience, but a live one nevertheless. And um, giving money away is actually, I know it's a silly thing to say, but that's actually something very satisfying to, because it wasn't huge money, but for some people it made, it actually made a difference to their lives in, in some way. So that it was a very positive experience. Do you have any money on you at the moment? No, no, I've no. Blown, oh, blown it all. Because uh, I was going to say... You're welcome oh, we, to. Oh, I well, see. Well, it's right. such a satisfying. If it's you, such a great feeling, mm, no, sure. I'm Dan, what do you think about like making a British, you know, format on Australian commercial TV? I, I did this on Channel Seven with uh, a British show called The Unbelievable Truth. Yes, right. Which also was very short-lived. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what, what do you? Why do you think that is? Like. Why, why don't British shows work on commercial TV in Australia? I know the answer you want me to give. Uh, yeah. This is about Australian audiences, but... Um, uh, the well, no, I, don't know. I actually don't know what answer. I actually don't know the answer. Oh, okay. Entirely. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, I do think that uh, maybe both of those shows would have benefited from being on the ABC. Uh, I think, yeah, that there's just something about a commercial audience and uh, actually even just commercials itself and the interruption of flow of comedy can can have an impact. I mean, I think our show didn't work, I think, for a, a bunch of reasons, and I may well have been one of them, you know. Uh, you know, I'm no Grant Denyer, and uh, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think, so. I, you know, Family Feud fans were, were livid when... When I took over, and you know, <laughs> were they? Yeah, I got I, I got a lot of nasty messages from people, and uh, uh, that was before the show even aired. That was, <laughs> that was just, well, that, yeah, that's the ultimate time, isn't it, when people really hate on you? <laughs> yeah, it's like when Daniel Craig was announced as the new James oh, Bond. Oh, completely. Yeah, before the movie came out, <laughs> yes, he was inundated with <laughs> criticism, hundred percent. So I think you know the, the the British format was quite long; it was like forty five minutes or so, and then our version was tr- they tried to condense it to twenty two minutes. So all the fun of the British one, all the sort of extraneous, all the stuff that's sort of outside of the the, the game itself, the sort of ad libbing and uh, interaction with the contestants, had to really be cut down. So we'd film all that sort of stuff, but then 90% of it would get cut because it just wouldn't fit the, the time slot. And so that I think is, you know, we lost a little bit of the charm of the original show. I'd like to think we kind of put our own spin on it. But the other thing as well is that those first few episodes, you know, you really need to make a positive, you need to make a great first impression. And those first few episodes, you're, you're literally watching a guy who a day earlier has just left SBS 2 where he was making two minute sketches and suddenly he's hosting this you know commercial game show and I was just you're watching a guy on his first day at work in a new job and Mm. you know I just don't think I was very good uh, early on and uh, I kind of had to warm up to it but um but yeah I think you maybe really only get one shot to get it right and so I think we probably lost people quite early on. Now um you have a conflicted personality Mark, because you you present as very shiny. You've got this very clean comedy exterior, mm-hmm. but you've also got a bit of a, a dark side to your comedy, don't you? You have these limits about what you should and shouldn't say. Right. Well, I think it's funny to be, in, in my head it's funny, to be clean cut, to have the haircut and the teeth and, and all the sort of, you know, that. Mm. And then to um, occasionally just be uh, needlessly crass. Uh, so th- if that's what you're referring to, that's that's what I sort of yeah. enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think if in, ter- in terms of our, like our live shows. Yeah. So yeah. No, actually, that's a good point. So for instance, when last year, so I did this character Barabbas Loins, who 
loosely inspired by Barnaby Joyce. And uh, so last year we had this thing that said that Barabbas had released his mem- released his memoir, um, uh, Loins, Warts and All. Um, and uh, and uh, that was there, was, there was, there were two titles. There was that one and there was also um, Recollections of a Bleeding Loins. And, uh, but there was, and so there was a line in there about when Barabbas met his now, you know, now partner, and uh, the line was, um, uh, we were like two ships passing in the night, except one ship kept repeatedly ramming into the other one. Um, and that's, that's sort of, that's the sort of smutty stuff that I... Disgraceful. Yeah, it's appalling, isn't it? Yes. But, I don't condone it, but that's the character speaking, Andrew. That's not me, that's the character. Oh, well, it uh, excuses everything. Yeah, you, can it's do, a mask. you can do whatever you want. Yes. So, yeah, no, I like, I like being very clean cut, and then, um, yeah, <laughs> subverting it with smut. Yeah. But you can't do that as much on social media, can you? Because you just get cancelled. Yes, I think I think so. So uh, uh, I, I, I think I'm pretty safe on social media these days. I've kind of given up on social media other than just putting out the sketches. Um, I just find it so... Um, even the nicest thing that you put out, there's always some... This, I mean, when I had when, so when my first son was born, I put out a tweet saying, uh, just a photo of me holding my my son Ted, and I just said, uh, "I have a son," and it was just such lovely responses from people from all over the place. And but there was one tweet which was something like, uh, "You sure it's a boy? You lefties sure like uh, believing in transitioning and all that?" And just like, why, why, why? How does this? Where does this come from? So I tend to yeah. kind of minimise my anything because even the even the most yeah positive thing gets some sort of weird response. So I'm certainly not going to yeah. do any sub, something subversive. Couldn't you just block Mark Latham? <laughs> In fact, he is the only account that I have blocked because. Do you think it's? Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Go no, on. sorry. Well, I'll just be quick. But he 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 tweeted about me quite a lot over a certain period, and I don't mind that. That's fine if you don't like me. That's 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 cool. But um, the mute function wasn't enough because when he would tweet, all of his followers would then start, you know, uh, abusing me. And there's only so many, you know, all caps tweets saying you're an idiot, <laughs> spelt Y-O-U-R, that you can you can read. So it was the misspelling. <laughs> it was the misspelling that bothered me. It wasn't the yeah. abuse. <laughs> At least get it right. And uh, so I blocked Mark Latham just so he couldn't tag me in tweets, and so that then I wouldn't then get. Yeah, so Latham was actually fine. It was really just all of his followers who were just unbearable. So uh, that's why I, I put the kibosh on that. Do you ever feel bad, though, on social media? Like, yes, you know, it's it's a wash with, with horrible people, with, you know, knives sharpened, ready to say terrible things to you. But there's also a lot of people on there who, who real, really are fans and they, you know, they, they probably want to see material from you. Do you ever feel kind of bad that because of those bad apples, you you know you've withdrawn from social media? Yes, I mean, so I do. I, yeah, sometimes I think. Yeah, sometimes I do think that, but then I think, well, you know, come and see the come and come and see our tour. You know, watch the sketches that we do for the thing. I, I kind of don't want to be engaging in it more than necessary now that, especially now that I've got two children. It feels weird to get too occupied in an online space. 
versus the real world where there's, you know. But that's the only way I got through parenting was to just (laughs) be on my phone. Yeah. Uh, It's also like, and I I obviously, and I'm indebted to social media because it, 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 you know, it got me the job on Pointless and and it allows those sketches to to spread. So, yeah, in an ideal world, I'd go and I'd put more sort of jokes and things on there. But on some level as well, I also, you know, there's that line in the, um, The Dark Knight where... Heath Ledger's Joker says, if you're good at something, never do it for free. And part of me is sort of like, yeah, I don't know if I want to put things out there. Um, mm. uh, so, but, uh, but I will do it for money. <laughs> <laughs> A sound philosophy. <laughs> now, um, Andrew, can I just see you outside again? Yeah, I'd love to see you outside. So, Charles. Yeah. Can we, can we wrap this up and bring this home now? Have we gotten all the juice out of Humphreys? Yeah, I, I think he's a great guy and we should just let him go. Yeah, me too. I'm, mm. I'm agreed too. He's just fantastic. <clears throat> um, wait a minute. Are we supposed oh, he's to... chimed us again. Oh, buddy. Oh. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what. Why don't we offer him a deal? Mm. If we get... You know how when a tweet goes really successfully, people always add a second tweet about their SoundCloud or their podcast or something like that? Uh, yes. Why don't we offer him a deal that if he agrees to add to that Greta Thunberg tweet a reply which mentions our podcast, <laughs> then we'll let him go. He'll never agree to that. He'd be an idiot to agree to that. He'd be a total idiot to agree to that. He'd be an absolute that. fool. Okay. Well, let's go in and see. Now, Mark. <clears throat> You've got a very successful tweet on your hands. Yeah, we've never had that. <laughs> we want you, the, the Australian government wants you to agree mm. to add a plug to our podcast directly underneath <laughs> that tweet. What do you say? Well, now I, I think there's never a better time to capitalise on the vir- virality of a tweet than when it is no longer viral. So, uh, yes, I would be quite willing <laughs> to Fantastic. attach that to the Great. bottom of the tweet. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Months after the event, we're going to get some sort of tweet put in, a, put in a subcategory underneath the old one. This couldn't have worked out better. Oh, Mark Lewis Humphreys, thank you very much. What a pleasure. Can I just get just one last little taste just before I go? Here you go. Oh! Oh! Thank you. Extreme Vetting with the Chaser was written and presented by Dom Knight, Charles Firth and Andrew Hansen. Recorded in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Produced by Alex Mitchell and audio production by Darcy Thompson. For all episodes, search Extreme Vetting Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the new Podcast One Australia app.